Welcome, guys. Uh, we're going to continue through our first Peter series. We're in chapter 5. I'm going to put this away for a second. Um, if you're just joining us, we've been walking through the book of First Peter, I think about the last two months, and we've arrived at the concluding remarks of First Peter. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to First Peter. We're going to be chapter 5, and we're going to read through verse 5 to verse 14. First Peter, shall I use this? Chapter 5, verse 5 all the way to end, actually. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, this, this passage is on the screen for us. I'll read from the second part of verse 5. <clears throat> I'll be reading from ESV. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, extorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is wise, chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So as we are looking at the concluding remarks of Apostle Peter, I have three things from our passage that I'm hoping for us to walk through together. First is our adversary. Everyone say adversary. Second is our weapon. Weapon. And our champion. Champion. So first, our adversary, verse 5, if we could just walk through the passage with me. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We talked about this last week, this idea. And Peter, at the end of this letter, after all that he's talked about, after addressing people that are struggling mightily, both in and outside of church, he looks at them and he says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And part of humbling yourself, we talked about last week, is the, this call to cast your anxieties on Jesus. Anyone anxious? You don't have to raise your hand. Many of us are anxious. Cast our anxiety, whatever anxiety that we're struggling, whatever anxiety they were struggling with, Peter says, cast them onto Jesus. That's part of humility. And we said last week, when we fail, when you and I fail to acknowledge that God is the ultimate decider, the ultimate authority in my life and in your life, that's when anxiety enters. When we quickly forget the reality of God's sovereign hand over our lives, that's when we become anxious. That's when anxiety kicks our butt. We talked about that last week. So Peter says, part of humility is coming to me with your anxieties. That's what we talked about last week. And now we jump into verse the part two of that conversation, verse eight. Peter and I dives into another important aspect of our faith. He talks about being aware. Being aware of what? What does Peter say? Be aware 
before our enemy, our adversary, roams around like a hungry lion, roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We've seen images, imageries of roaring lions, right? Planet Earth, I think there's a second Planet Earth, season two, I love it, we've seen it. But for people at the time reading this letter, for them, this is much more vivid. Because why? They knew exactly how a vicious lion could tear apart a human body because they were at Colosseums every week as part of their culture, seeing human body being torn apart by these lions. So this is a provocative imagery that Peter employs, right? To make a point. He's making a very important point. To warn the church, warn people that are struggling, warn you and I that Christian faith is a battle. Battle much like what we see in the Colosseum. Battle much like what we have experienced. This roaring, hungry lion coming after us. And in fact, if you read through scripture from Genesis to Revelation, especially in the New Testament letters, these authors remind us over and over again of the battles that exist, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 5, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, yes, we have flesh, but we are not waging war in the flesh. Our war is not simply in the flesh. Your adversary is not simply the boss that you cannot stand. Your adversary is not simply your young child who is out of control. Your adversary is not simply someone else you're thinking about. But what Paul and Peter and other writers are telling us is that there is, far, there is a far greater adversary in our lives that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And, and, and scripture reminds us that Satan, the adversary who, who Peter names here, is known as father of lies. That's his title. He is great at deceiving and lying. And his prim- primary strategy from the very beginning is, is what? To distort people's view of who God is. Genesis 3, the fall, we almost talk about Genesis 3 every week here, where Adam and Eve, the way serpent got to Adam and Eve was what? God is not generous. God wants to keep you away from true freedom. And Adam and Eve bought that lie. And that's been his, what, strategy from the very beginning, right? To distort our understanding of who God is so that we would want to go after life on our own. Satan loves to distort his word and our identity in him. He creates doubt, fear, and discouragement. Lies about who we are and who God is and who, you, who we are meant to be in Him, right? These lies, we constantly, whether you're going, you're sitting in, in, in a subway, whether you are driving, all of these random thoughts come into your head. Guilt, shame, all these experiences. And, 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 and what we have to be aware of is that there is a liar that is putting these lies into our heads because Scripture talks about it. Lies about, again, who we are, who God is, and who we are meant to be. Spiritual warfare can also cause division and conflicts in our relationships, amongst people, in, in our community. We've seen, as growing up as a Korean American, in the States, I've seen many, many church splits. And you wonder, why is there so much drama in the church? Yes, 
we're dramatic people, Korean Americans, we're very dramatic. But at the same time, there is a spiritual battle. There's a there's distorting truth and conflict that enemy wants to cause among believers, among elders and pastors, among deacons and members. And, and Satan seeks to sow discord and division among God's community, hindering unity and the effectiveness, effectiveness, effectiveness of the body. And, and if you could just imagine for the original audience, right? Because this letter is not written to us directly. It was written to people at the time who are struggling, who are facing really, really hard, difficult things, both in and outside of the church. There was this persecution against Christians. Could you imagine the type of stress, pressure, and challenges that these Christians were under, were experiencing? Satan just needed to twist someone's words. So and so is not faithful. So-and-so said this. So-and-so doesn't like this. Right? It's so easy, even at church, right? You come to church, and you've experienced something, you're like, oh, I don't like that. And instead of talking to people that are related, that, that, that can handle that situation, we, we go off to lunch, and we start talking to other people. We create division. We create gossip. We create different versions of truth. And Satan's always there, wanting to twist and turn and distort not only our understanding of who God is, but our understanding of each other and who we are in Him. So Peter says, at all times be watchful. The word in Greek, be watchful, in our passage is nepho, which means to remain collected in spirit. To always be in tune with the spirit. Which spirit is Peter talking about, I think Peter's talking about the Holy Spirit, be be in tune with the Holy Spirit in us. How do we continue to navigate and, and, and recognize the spiritual battles that are around us? We have the Holy Spirit that can give us indication that something is not right. So he says, always be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Be on alert. Be watchful and be on alert. The word is Gregorio, which means to give strict attention to. Give strict attention to this lion that's going around trying to cause wreckage and division and challenge and conflict and destruction. So Peter says, remain in tune with the Spirit because again, our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour if we, friends, if we are not in tune with the Holy Spirit, as Christians, we believe there is a Holy Spirit that, that lives in us, right? But if we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit, many times we're not, we're easy prey. We, we don't even know we're being attacked. We don't even know things are happening behind us. We just walk, walk, and try to live life, and boom, it's too late before we realize, man, there was an attack on our, on our lives, the wonderful, timeless classic, The Art of War, you know, written many, many years ago by this war general, Sun Tzu, a military commander who lived in the Eastern Zhao around 6th century. So this book has been recommended over the years. MBA students, like business people, have read this book. And really, the central theme of the book revolves around this idea of how to win battles, how to actually attack and, and be able to win battles. 
and really about the, and, and Sun Tzu, his main advice through this book is try to win battles without actually fighting. Right? The art of war, really, if you can narrow down this, this book, this really big book, 13 chapters, is really about you've got to figure out ways to win without picking up a sword. That's, that's his advice. And, this, and, and, and another main idea he says is in order for you to be able to engage in a war and be able to be strategic, you've you got to be able to do two things. One, know yourself, know your weakness, know your strength. Know what you're good at, what you're not good at. Two, know your enemy. Know yourself, know your enemy. Because knowing yourself, you, you, you could have a strategy. Knowing, hey, we're good at this, we're not good at this. Knowing our enemy urges us, uh, urges us to deeply understand, you know, our enemy's strength and weaknesses and capabilities. He calls for introspection and rec- recognition of their true potential and limitations. This is an extremely helpful book in thinking about not just in, in other areas of life, but I think in our spiritual warfare, I think this is actually a very good book for us to consider. In, in, our, in our battle against our adversary, right, Sun Tzu says, know yourself. I think this is a great advice. Friends, we need to be honest about our own weaknesses. When we think about spiritual warfare, when we think about enemy coming after us and after our relationship with God, we need to know our weaknesses. And many of us, we do know our weaknesses. Think about some of the major distractions that keep us from Jesus. Distraction that is time-consuming. Distraction, mindless distractions that keep us away from being focused and intentional about the way we live. For some of you guys, it's, 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 it's stuff like shows on Netflix and Disney Plus or, or it could be Tangan app or Kupang app or shopping or thinking about different hobbies, God, whatever it may be, we have to know our weaknesses, what's really keeping us distracted from pursuing God. Again, this keeps you and I, things that keep us from being fully committed to Jesus. For some, it's lust, right? Some, it's greed. For some, it's busyness of life, trying to maximize life. I feel like for many of us that are living in Seoul, we are just too busy to hear from God. We're just too busy to realize enemy is actually after us. Or think about what's keeping you from being in the Word. Why aren't we in the Word? Right? Very clear. God said, this is my instruction for life. If you have this, you're going to be able to know how to live life. Yet truth is, if you look at the numbers, Barna Group does numbers every year, so many Christians are not in the Word. So many pastors are not in the Word. So many Christian leaders are not in the Word. What's keeping you distracted? I could be, there's many things that are, that are distracting me from going into the Word. iPad, shows, business, meeting up with friends, other stuff. Enemy knows, right? Maybe you don't realize your weaknesses. Maybe you do. But for sure, enemy knows our weaknesses. Enemy knows, right? More than we think he knows how to get us down, how to discourage us, how to keep us distracted. Um, so, so really, it's important 
that we, we proactively plan our day around so that we wouldn't give the enemy the opportunity to tempt us. If you know you're not going to be able to read the Bible at night because you, you fall asleep picking up this book, which, which happens to a lot of us, do it in the morning. As soon as you wake up, just open it up, next, put it next to you, remove your phone from your bed, put this thing on, on your bed. And, and just as soon as you wake up, just go into it. Like, if, if you know you, 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 you have problems with, with weight and you want to cut down on sweets, what's one thing you shouldn't do? You should strategically plan so that you're not around donut shops throughout your day, right? If, if I want to cut down on my weight and I don't want, I, I need to cut down on sweets, I'm not hanging out. I'm not going to Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme to do my work. That's just a bad idea. But the reality is so many of us, knowing our weakness, knowing our challenges, we, that's what we do. We go to the donut shop, grab a cup of coffee, and we, we act like we're going to be able to overcome these temptations. But knowing ourselves, knowing our weaknesses, knowing what makes us fall, we can proactively plan our day around that. Second thing, know your enemy, the device that Sun Tzu gives. One of the most cunning strategies that Satan employs is to persuade you and I that he does not exist. That he is merely a fictional character. If you think about Satan and his father of lies and his main strategy, I think one of his main strategies is to make us unaware of his existence. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, I've talked about this book many times here, probably one of the, one of the most um, helpful books when it comes to spiritual warfare. In his book, Screwtape Letters, he portrays a demonic perspective illustrating how Satan and his minions work subtly to deceive, distract humans from the truth of God's love and purpose. So in this fictional book, the uncle demon and the nephew, they're training each other. And one of the main things the, the, the trainer tells trainee is make sure they don't realize they're being manipulated by you. Here's a quote. Here's a, here's a really great quote from the book. This is the uncle uh, demon training his nephew, right? Training in ways of how to really get humans. And he says... But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The enemy is God that, 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 in this book. Separate man from God. It does not matter how small the sins are. Provide that their, their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards. It's about playing cards. If cards can do the trick, indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. If, if you talk to a friend, see, majority of people, when we think about people leaving church or people no longer walking with Jesus, we think, oh, it's because people are done with church, political reasons, for, for, for multiple reasons. But if you actually... Look at the numbers. There was a book written by Julian Dunn called Quitting Church. And Julian Dunn, she did this whole research about why people were leaving. This, this, was, this, is, uh, this is about 10 years, 20 years old now. But she basically did all this research and she said people leave church at the end of the day because they just got busy with life. 
So end of her research, she realized majority of people, yeah, people left church because they were hurt. People left church because uh, they no longer believed in Jesus. But majority of people that, that have left church, she found that it's, they just got busy with life. Like just one thing at a time, right? You, you, you get married and you have weekend things with your, with your spouse. You have kids. You take your kids to different things, sports. But gradual, right? This, this gradual thing. This, this, it's not this anything drastic that's, that, that, that is taking us away from our faith, but it's actually gradual. And that's one of the ways Satan loves to mess with us. Um, again, Satan will do everything he can to make us assume we are doing okay. It's the slow, gentle, soft, underfoot without sudden turnings. We look at ourselves and we say, at least I'm better than so-and-so. At least I'm going to church every three weeks. At least I'm reading my Bible, right? Now, it's important to recognize, I think I need to say this, not everything we encounter in life, not every challenge or difficulty that we encounter in life is a result of Satan's direct influence. Right? Sometimes the consequences we face, uh, there are the consequences we face because of our own actions and choices or actions of other people. So we need to own up to our own doings, right? It's not just Satan that's tempting us. We need to own up to our, our, our part in this. We can't always blame Satan, yet he does have a huge influence in many of the battles that we face day in, day out. So first step is to be watchful. Everyone say watchful. Know yourself, know your adversary. How do we resist? How do we then now knowing, now being watchful? How do we battle? Second um, theme is our weapon. After fasting 40 days, Jesus uh, is approached by Satan. Jesus is hungry. He's most vulnerable. Imagine fasting for 40 days. Satan approaches Jesus at this very vulnerable moment trying to tempt Jesus. And three times, as Satan tried to entice Jesus, what did Jesus do in, in every, every time he was tempted? All three times, Jesus quoted scriptures to counter Satan's lies. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Right? Those, those are directly taken from Scripture. Jesus is quoting Scripture to Satan. So in the same way, friends, God has given us His Word. God has given each of us His Word to silence any lies and cunning schemes of the evil one. The reasons why we are so often swayed is because, again, we're not in the Word. We are not in the Word as we should. And, and really, friends, it's through the daily reading, daily studying, daily meditating, the wonderful Word of God, the, the powerful, sovereign, inerrant Word of God that we, we mature, that we can actually fend off the evil one. If any of us are struggling with anxiety, struggling with fears and discouragement, whatever that is, things at work, 
things in your own life, things in your marriage, things with your children, things in the past, anxious about the future. I want to encourage us as your pastor to pick up this book. Maybe actually buy a physical Bible because none of us own a physical Bible anymore, right? Maybe actually buy a physical Bible so that we won't be distracted because being on the phone and trying to read the Bible, it's not going to work unless you've got Apple and you could do different modes. But, but really, it's really difficult, right? You'll be really distracted. So maybe actually one of the things we need to do is pick up a physical Bible so that we can start reading. Actually have a plan. Don't just open the Bible, go to Genesis 1. Actually think about, hey, how, what am I going to do with the rest of the year? If I want to read the Bible for, from the rest of the year, it's, it's middle of the year. If I read about eight chapters a day, I could actually read the whole Bible. Actually think about, okay, I want to study Psalms in this season. I want to actually write Proverbs for the next three months. Actually, anything we do intentionally, we need intentionality. Actually think about what you're going to do before you tackle it. Because if you just pick up your Bible tomorrow and start from Genesis, you'll give up by numbers. I promise. So you've got to have a plan. You've got to be intentional about your time. In the, we're like, when are you going to do it? Are you going to do it in the morning? Are you going to do it at night? Are you going to do both? Actually think about, right, you, you go to the gym, right? I go to the gym, often I'm lost. I don't have a game plan. But I see some, I see some buff guy, he has a game plan. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He doesn't waste any time. He's in there, he's out, he's yoked. I'm just like, oh, I'll just bench today. If I feel like it, I'll do some pull-ups. Lois is calling me, I got to go home, right? I'm not intentional. That's why you see me and you see that buff guy. In the same way, we have to be intentional about how we're going to study this book. Amen? There is no shortcut to Christian maturity. There's no 12-step to Christian maturity. There's only one step. It's about getting into this Word, being intentional about our time in the Word. This is how we grow. This is how we become wise and mature. It's only through the inspired and authoritative Word the, the word of God. Should I say more? You guys get my point? Be in the word. Amen? That's our weapon. Jesus quoted scripture. If Jesus, the son of God himself, quoted scripture, what should we do? We quote scripture. We follow Jesus' steps. That's our weapon. Third, our champion. Verse 9, resist him with firm faith. Peter has no doubt that Christians can prevail against the evil one. He is saying, you have everything you need in Christ. This is really encouraging to us because, verse 9, by Peter saying, resist him with firm faith, he is confident that we have everything in us, in Christ, to be able to defeat the attacks of the enemy. Otherwise, Peter would have said, run, hide, don't challenge him. But what Peter says is, resist him with firm faith. The word in verse 9, firm, you see on the screen, it is exactly the same word we find in Isaiah 50, verse 7. Right? Peter is quoting Isaiah 50, verse 7, or using the word from Isaiah 50, verse 7. Isaiah 50, verse 7, this is a passage in the book of Isaiah where the author is expressing unwavering trust in God's help and protection, even in the face of great suffering and opposition. It is, it is a part of a larger section that points people to the future Messiah, the one who will truly restore the people once and for all. 
So Peter borrows the words of Isaiah here, but we, and, and through it he reassures the people that no trials, no opposition, no evil schemes of the enemy will prevail against you and I because we have a champion. Friends, when we firmly place our lives in the truth of God's word, that when we, when we firmly plan our lives in the truth of God's word, it does not mean we're not going to face trials and challenges and difficulties. Being a Christian does not mean you're not going to face difficult and hard and, and things that you don't like. Being a Christian doesn't mean you, you're going to love your boss. Your boss is going to be amazing. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to struggle financially. You're not going to struggle relationally. Being a Christian doesn't mean your marriage will always be perfect. But it does mean, being a Christian, it does mean that we have what we need. We have what we need in order to overcome these battles. And friends, we've said this throughout this series, right? Our series through Peter, we've said this, this, this thing over and over again, it's, and it's this. Trials have an amazing ability to burn away our own self-confidence. Trials have the amazing ability to burn away our own self-confidence. We need trials. And trials have the amazing ability to make us fall on our knees and want to run to Jesus. I'm sorry, but success will not do that for us. I've seen very few successful Christians that say, man, I need more of Jesus. I've seen very very few Christians that are doing really well in life that want to draw near to Jesus. It's possible, it's not impossible, but often more than success and wealth and comfort, it's trials. It's through these battles. In verse 10, the God of all grace, Peter says, after a while, after you experience these trials, verse 10, the God of all grace will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you and I. Peter concludes this letter in the same manner the way he started. He started chapter 1 by reminding us of this amazing living hope, not dead hope, not hope that is dormant, but hope that is living and alive. And, And he says, this is the only sure thing on this side of eternity, that this living hope is the only thing that is uniquely able to sustain, strengthen, and empower you and I through all the trials and challenges and suffering that we face in our journey with Jesus. And he says, after a little while, I'm going to reestablish you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to mature you. Anyone into Japanese art form, Japanese art, Japanese culture? There is a Japanese art form, art form called kintsugi. And, and I've, I've probably used this illustration once or twice in the last several years. And I love this illustration because I think this is an amazing illustration of the gospel. Kintsugi is in Japanese art form, which means golden joinery, which involves repairing broken pottery, 
with lacquer mixed with gold, silver, and platinum and other precious metals. And this art, if you, if you look at the picture, this art celebrates the beauty in their imperfection. It was shattered pieces that are put together by the artist and actually highlighted by these precious metals to show their beauty and brokenness. Just as the gold, in our picture, the gold in Kintsugi fills the cracks and elevates the pottery's beauty, the gospel reminds us that Jesus takes our shattered lives. Jesus takes our broken lives. Jesus takes scraps of our brokenness and through his redemptive work, crafts a masterpiece that reflects his glory. Our scars become testimonies of his grace. And our brokenness becomes a canvas for his restoration. And in the process, Jesus looked on the, took on the full penalty of God's just wrath. He did that for you. He did that for me. And our once shattered lives are held together by his life, his death, and resurrection. And this is why, in verse 11, Peter can end this letter being confident in verse 11. To God be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever you're facing today, Whatever struggle and trials and challenges that you're dealing with, perhaps internally, emotionally, crisis of life, it doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good. I've been there. It doesn't feel good. But there is hope. There's living hope that when, after time passes, after you remain committed to Jesus, you're going to be able to see that God's going to bring beauty out of ashes. God's going to bring beauty out of all the broken things that we have experienced. And, and really, that's the most comforting message of 1 Peter. It's not that we've got to be stronger in trial. It's not that we've got, to, we've got to pursue harder. We can't give up. But it's that actually we're, we are broken. We are utterly broken in so many areas of our lives. Yet we have a Savior who came to restore us, who will always continue to come after us and love us. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful imagery of the gospel. Lord, so uh, many times we despise our storms. We complain of our trials. We want nothing more than for you to get us out of our challenges. Yet, Lord, we, we acknowledge we need trials. We need challenges. We need to recognize that we don't have it in us to be able to overcome and, and, and we just pray that if anyone is discouraged today, if anyone is confused, if anyone is angry, angry at you perhaps, would you remind us 
once again of your goodness. Would you remind, remind us once again of your faithfulness? And I pray over our church that in this season that we will love your word, that we would open up scripture and scripture would powerfully speak to us and there will be true repentance, true yearning and desire for your kingdom, for your will in this community, Lord. Would you be gracious to us? Just in we pray. Amen.